0: So, this morning, we're beginning a new teaching series, which I've entitled The Main Thing. I'm sure you've heard the phrase that says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You haven't? Okay. (laughs) Let me give you one of my famous quotes. The main thing. The main thing is to keep the main the main thing in life is to keep focus on what really matters when so much can distract us. And we can be pulled down so many different rabbit holes that we lose sight of what really matters. I and what we're going to do over the next 5 weeks is I want to look at some of the things that are so important in life. And Stephen Covey, who's, who's written a number of books about uh, particularly uh, being successful in business, he said this. He said, anything less than a conscious commitment to the important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. All right, let me put it more simply. From the great philosopher Tigger, <laughs> make room for the real important stuff. Make room for the real important stuff. And what I want to do today, I want to talk about knowing God. Next week, I'm going to talk about cherish your family. Week three, love your church. Week four, guard your integrity. Week five, pursue your purpose. So that's where we're headed on Sundays over the next few weeks, one of the most difficult things I've done in life, and, and I guess you know I've, I've experienced some difficult stuff, but one of the most difficult things I've done in life was about 18 months ago. 18 months ago, we moved from a house we had lived in for 27 years, which was on three levels, with a two-car garage, and we moved into a two-bedroom ranch with a single car garage. And if you try to actually sift through 27 years of junk, spread over a pretty big house, and then decide what you wanna take to the little house you're gonna move into now, let me tell you, it's interesting. And what makes it interesting also is that husbands and wives sometimes have different opinions over what matters and what doesn't matter. Oh yeah, some of you been there, right? Right? So it's so it's like, you know, when it came to my library and I decided I had to thin out my library very reluctantly, I, I I was left to do that totally by myself. I could decide what books I take, what books I get rid of. But when it came to the Christmas decorations, that, guys, just to give you a heads up, if this ever happens to you, that's really skating on thin ice. And what you need to do with Christmas, guys, if you're ever in that position, what you need to do with the Christmas decorations is sort them through when she's not around and throw out stuff that she doesn't see going, okay? I think I could be in trouble tonight. But, but we really had to do some radical thinking of what we're going to get rid of, what we're going to, you know, because we had to really, really condense things to what we really needed and wanted and what we had room for. And, you know, every now and again, I, I suggest it's not a bad thing for us to take inventory of our lives and to say, what are the things that really matter to me? And am I making room for the things that really matter, or have I been neglecting the things that really matter? And that's where we're headed over these few weeks. So today, I want to talk about know God. What's the main thing? The main thing, we'll start here this week, is the main thing is to know God. In John's Gospel, chapter 17, Jesus said this in verse 3. He was actually praying to his Father at this point. And he prays, this is the real and eternal life that they know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is the real and eternal life that they know you. So this is an very significant starting point that Jesus is saying here, the key to real life and the key to eternal life is knowing God. So what needs to be a priority in our life? Our priority needs to be to know God, because that's how we can experience real life, and that's how we experience eternal life. In the previous verse, here's what Jesus had said. He said, for you that is the Father, you granted him, the Son, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those whom you have given him. Jesus came to give us eternal life. Now, I mentioned this last Sunday, and I want to just go back to it again today. Eternal life does not mean we live forever when we die. Eternal life is not just talking about the length of life. When some people think about eternal life, they think that means you're going to go to heaven when you die. But that's not the total picture. Eternal life does not start when you die. Because everybody will live forever. Are you holding your breath now? Because some of you are thinking... He's going to come out with something that's not true now. No, I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll come out with what the Bible says. And this is a painful truth, but it's the truth. Jesus said in Mark 9, 48, this is like gross, in hell, worms that eat the body never die, and the fire is never put out. Here's the simple truth, and it's an uncomfortable truth, but it's why Jesus came to earth, we will all live forever. But there are those who will live forever without Christ and there are those that will live forever in the presence of Jesus. Amen. That's, 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 that's why Jesus came. If it was different than that, he didn't need to die so that we could be reconciled to God. But he came to reconcile us to the Father to save us from an eternity separated from God and to open the way for us to be in heaven itself. So, everybody will live forever. So, when the Bible says you're going to get eternal life, that doesn't mean to say you're going to live forever. That's not the total picture. Everybody will live forever in one of those two locations. There's more to it than that. Eternal life is a quality of life. That's what we receive when we commit our lives to Jesus. It does mean we will live forever with the Lord in heaven, but it's also about the quality of life here on earth. In Romans chapter 14, there's Paul's addressing a a conflict that was going on about what people should, how they should live, what was right for them to eat, what they shouldn't eat, what they should drink, what they shouldn't drink, because the background of the early church was Judaism, which is full of rules and regulations. And in Romans fourteen seventeen, he lays it out and says this, God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. I, I love that. God's kingdom, that is God, God being in you and God reigning in you, isn't about what rules you've got to keep. That's not what it's about. It, it's about God setting your life right, putting you all together, and, and here's the thing, the icing on the cake is He completes it with joy. That's eternal life. Eternal life is God putting us back together and God giving us the blessing of living with His joy. It's the life that Jesus promised in John's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 10, where Jesus said, a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they can have, same phrase as John 17, real and eternal life. And now he defines that, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That's eternal life. It's living this life with a better life than we ever dreamed of, experiencing more life than we ever thought possible. It isn't just a case that when I draw my last breath here, I'll wake up in heaven. Thank God that's part of the package. But it's about here and now. Some people used to refer to Christianity as pie in the sky. It's like, yeah, it's all what's gonna happen then. But it but it's not. It's not pie in the sky by and by. It's cake on your plate while you wait. That's what that's profound, isn't it? Okay, if you're visiting, you never heard anything that deep in any church before, did you? But but, but it is. It's, it's 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 living life to the full. Here and now, it's the life David talked about, the psalmist, in in that best known of his psalms, Psalm 23, where he starts by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's the starting point. When the Lord is our shepherd, we find a life where we lack nothing, and then he goes on and says this in verse five, my cup overflows. That's eternal life, folks. That's life here and now, following Jesus, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, my cup overflows. Amen is a good response to that. Anyway, you missed it, too late, we'll keep going. Eternal life is the life that Peter saw in believers that he knew. And here's what he says of them, 1 Peter 1.8. Even though you do not see him, that is Jesus now, you believe in him. And what happens when we believe in Jesus? You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Amen. You're catching on. Right. <laughs> right? Though, though we haven't seen him, we believe in him, and believing in Jesus has has wonderful rewards, and they are you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The joy of knowing. I don't carry the guilt for my failures and sins. The joy of knowing God has pardoned me and I've been reconciled to him. The joy of knowing that the judge of the universe holds nothing against me. The joy of living knowing that the God of all creation thinks I am wonderful. Amen. You too. That's eternal life. That's real and eternal life. That's what Jesus came to give us. So let's go back to John 17 and verse 3. And this is the real and eternal life. Where does it come from? That they know you. The only and true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Real and eternal life comes from knowing God. What's the main thing? I want to suggest to you the main thing in life is to know God. Because what comes from knowing Him is real and eternal life. To know God is the first priority. Now, it's easy to get the picture just totally out of perspective when it comes to knowing God. So let me just make a couple of statements to you. Firstly, this, being religious is not knowing God. Being religious. So, So if I was to ask you this morning, so how many of you were very religious without knowing God? Wave at me a few of you, right? So you can be very religious, you can be deeply religious, but still not really know God. Now some of you are looking at me a bit kind of squinty-eyed there and saying, "What? What's what's how do you, how do you get that?" Because here's the reality, you can be in church every Sunday to the end of your life but not have a relationship with God. You really can. You can know the Bible inside out but not know the God of the Bible. Let's go back to Romans 14. Uh, And Romans 14, verse 17, God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. And he's talking about keeping religious rules. God's kingdom is not about keeping religious rules. It's what God does with your life as he sets you straight, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Here's the deal. Religion will make you miserable because it's never enough and you're never good enough. And some of us know that experience, and we lived through that experience, and some of us grew up with that kind of experience, that whenever we went into a church or whatever else, we never felt good enough. And you can do whatever you may do, but it's still not enough. It's still not enough. You've got to do more. You've got to do more. You've got to do more. And the reality is this. The heart of the gospel is we don't have to do a thing because Jesus did it all. And when we believe in Christ and trust Him, we are reconciled to the Father. You, You know who Jesus really had problems with? Jesus had problems with religious people. They were the ones. The people who thought they were like God's best on earth. The people who could kind of really just run through all of their achievements and and, and all of the things they did, uh, the observances they made because they, they they were believers in God. But the fact is this. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the most religious people they were around. But Jesus, Jesus called them a lot of things, actually, but they weren't nice, and, and, but they were true. And on one occasion, he called them whited sepulchers. So, they were, they, they were like whitewashed tombs, he said. You look pretty, but he said inside there's just a load of dead bones. Wow, I thought you were meant to be nice. But, but he's making the point to them, and he's making the point strongly to them because here's, the, here, here, here's what he said to them again at another point. He said, what you people do is you lock up the kingdom of heaven to other people, and you're not going in yourself. You don't help people to get close to God. You're not doing it. In fact, what you're doing is keeping people away from God. That's why Jesus was quite hostile towards them at times, because they were actually the enemies of God and the enemies of God's purposes. He told them one day, he said, your father's the devil. That's why they didn't like him. One of the the most religious people you'll find in the New Testament is is the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the books of the New Testament, founded Lord knows how many churches, was just an incredible person. Uh, But before he became a believer, he was a fully committed member of the Jewish faith, teacher, teacher. Pharisee. And here's what he says at one point, looking back in Philippians 3, verse 4. Here's what he says. He says, you know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, which is what the law required, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting Christians. A meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. So so that's how he reflects on where he was at. He said, I had all the credentials to be one, one of the most leading figures in the Jewish faith in my day. He had it all. Religious, he was. All the check marks are there. And then here's what he goes on to say, verse 8. Yeah. All the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life, compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my friend, my master, firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung, I'm quoting the Bible. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ. His religion meant nothing to him once he really encountered Jesus and he said that stuff just doesn't matter anymore. Here's what really matters to me, knowing Jesus. The main thing in our lives should be to know Christ. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, the the prophet says this. In Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, God's message. Don't let the wise brag of their wisdom. Don't let heroes brag of their exploits. Don't let the rich brag of their riches. If you brag... Brag of this and this only, that you understand and know me. That's what God says. If you want to brag about anything, don't make it about how smart you are. Don't make it about all you've done. Don't make it about how well off you are. If you're going to brag, there's only one thing worth bragging about, God says. And here's what it is, that you understand and know me. That's the secret. Being religious is not knowing God. Then let me just move on from there and say this. Doing good is not knowing God. There are a lot of good people on the earth who don't know the Lord. But the fact is When we come to know God, it will impact our life, our behavior, and our priorities. But the fact that somebody's kind, generous, caring, does not mean necessarily that they know God for themselves. The truth is, the world that I live in is a lot kinder than the bitter world of Twitter. Now, if you said what when I said Twitter, don't worry about it. Just, your life is much better without it, okay? All right? But the real world, is so. there are so many caring people. We had a great Easter Sunday here, right, for all, all those of you that were with us. We, we, we had two services. We had great crowds of people in, and, and we had a fantastic morning here. Um, but actually, as soon as second service finished, Ken and Ginny Carmel, who look after our Grace Care Outreach, they they were setting about with a team of volunteers getting ready for what was the next part of Easter at Genesis, and that was serving a grab-and-go Easter dinner to 177 people who are in need. And that (laughs) happened here. That happened here, Easter Sunday afternoon. You know why that happened? Because there are a lot of caring people around this place. Thank God. And there are a lot of caring people outside of this place. There are a lot of caring people who help us with our outreaches, who get involved with our outreaches, who maybe don't know Jesus yet. And I love people who don't know Jesus yet getting involved with us because the reality is one of these days they will get to know Jesus. That's, that's, that's a big part of it. There are a lot of caring people about it. but doing good is not knowing God. Jesus said this this is kind of a scary verse but John 17 sorry Matthew 7 verse 22. Jesus said on judgment day many will say to me lord lord we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, and notice the phrase, will you? I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That's a heavy one, isn't it? So you said, Jesus said that you know, there are people who are going to say, I did this for you, I did that for you, I did the other for you. And Jesus said, yeah, but the problem is I didn't know you. Knowing God is vitally important, and doing good things and being nice and caring actually is not going to bridge the gap between anyone and God. So, if being religious isn't knowing God, and doing good isn't knowing God, what is knowing God? Now, I want you to brace yourselves here, okay, because I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to say, wow. Wow. Right? Are you ready? This was worth getting up for this morning. For those of your parents, this was worth battling your kids for. Isn't it amazing how they kids so often on a Sunday morning they don't want to cooperate? Don't ask me how I know that. It was many years ago. Here we are. You ready for this profound statement? If being religious isn't knowing God, if doing good isn't knowing God, here you go folks the wow moment. Knowing God is knowing God. Wow. Wow. Isn't that deep? Isn't that profound? Knowing God is knowing God. It's not doing stuff. It's not keeping rules. It's not being kind. Knowing God is about having a relationship with God. You know what? It's amazing how many people seem to know me. I guess I've been around a while. And and so, you know, you meet a lot of people over the years in a lot of different settings. And now and again, folks will say to me, hey, I met somebody this week who knows you. And then I'm in this awful situation because they're describing the person and everything they've got, and I've got no idea who they're talking about. <laughs> and, and it's, you know… Uh, I, you know, I mean, someone might come in here once on a Sunday and worship with us and decide this isn't quite their flavor, and they go, but then maybe a year later they meet somebody in a, in a conversation and go, oh, I know Roger Blackmore. It's like, no, no, no. It's different being acquainted with someone and knowing them. And knowing God is not being acquainted with God it's knowing God. It's having a relationship with God. In James 2, it tells us this about Abraham in the Old Testament. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. That's knowing God. That's knowing God. That's the position to being. And, and knowing God starts, basically, with a commitment. Many of you heard the story over and over again. My wife and I met when we were students in Bible college, and uh, we, started, uh, we started dating. Is that still the word for it? Wh- whatever. You know, we started dating there in college. It was actually, we were in this kind of pretty strict denominational Bible college, and dating between students was, was not permitted. You'd be amazed how many marriages came out of that college, but it was a miracle. Dating was not permitted. And, and so we started dating, and we had to kind of, whenever we, we got together, we had to do it kind of secretly, and we're afraid of getting found out and thrown out of the college, but we did. And, and then after we'd been dating for about four or five months, Jill actually graduated because she'd been there ahead of me, and um, and then we, we got engaged, and... Uh, Joe reflects sometimes and says, you know what? I don't think you ever actually proposed to me. And I say, well, why would I? Are you going to say no? (laughs) Yeah, right. Don't worry. I'm kidding there, folks. Or am I? Anyway, this (laughs) I was like, I don't think you ever actually proposed. But, but, uh, but we, we still got married. and been married 52 years, though I didn't propose. I didn't propose yet. <laughs> but I must get onto to that one of these days. Uh, but here's the deal. Here's the, I'd be afraid to ask her now. So, <laughs> but there, you know, there came the place of commitment. And knowing God starts with a commitment. It starts with like, okay, I've been getting a little bit more acquainted with God, and I've been kind of gravitating a little bit closer to God, and I've been getting more interested in God. But knowing God involves taking the next step, which is committing your lives to Him and really entering into relationship with them, There are a couple of words. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. There are a couple of different Greek la- words used in the New Testament for know. And one of the words is, 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 is a word that means to know God intuitively. It's like, you say to the average American, do you believe in God? They're going to say, yeah. Now, some will say, yeah, I do, I do, I believe that tree's God. And it's like, God bless you, I wish you well. Uh, but, but, you know, but do you believe in God? Yeah, I do believe in God. The average American is going to say they believe in God. But that kind of believing in God is not the believing in God that gives you eternal life. The other word that's used in the New Testament in Greek that is in use here is a word which means to know someone by experience. And to know God through experiencing God and starting a relationship with God is what it's all about. Jesus said in John 1 and verse 12, it says, or sorry, it says about Jesus in John 1, 12, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. It starts with a commitment. If you are watching this Sunday morning, if you're with us in house this Sunday morning, and you haven't yet entered into a relationship with God, I want to invite you and encourage you to make this Sunday morning your day of commitment when you enter into a relationship for yourself with God. How do you do that? The Bible says for those who receive Jesus, you say, Lord, I want you to come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. I commit my life to you. And the Bible says when you take that simple step, he gives to you the right, the privilege of being children of God. It all begins right there and then. You receive Christ as Lord and Savior He gives you the gift today of eternal life. It begins with commitment. And and then let me say this, then knowing God needs to be something that is a continuing thing. Because it's easy to Let your relationship with God drift, which is why I wanted to come to this topic this morning and help you to take inventory and say, am I keeping the main thing, the main thing? Relationships can drift. Most of us haven't been anywhere much for the last couple of years, right? So I haven't been back to the UK in in three years now. And three years ago when I was there in May of uh, of 2019, I got to spend a couple of days with my brother who's 18 months older than I am, and I hadn't seen him then for a couple of years. Now, I saw him back then, so that's virtually three years ago. I think we talked once on the phone the Christmas before last. Now, you might say that's weird. I might say you're weird, so let's leave it there. You know, but here's the thing: we're fine. We're fine, but actually, you know, years and years ago, our lives kind of went off in different directions. I went off to Bible college. I went into ministry. He got involved with his stuff. Our, our, you know, we didn't see each other, and we're not that great at keeping in touch. We're totally fine. When we see each other again next time, we'll just catch up where we are. But actually. There's a lot about where he's at, what's happening with him that I don't know because I'm I'm not in touch with him on a regular basis. All that to say, your relationship with God can drift. you can become distant in your relationship with God. Now, I'm just gonna jump on something else here very quickly, and, and those of you that aren't fully in tune with what the Bible says are totally entitled to disagree with me. That doesn't mean to say you're gonna lose the gift of eternal life, right? Because Jesus said that he gives, he gives to those who follow Him eternal life, and they will never perish. You know what the word never means? You're on the ball today, yes. Never means never. That's it. Done deal. The moment I commit my life to Jesus, the Bible says, and they will never perish. But the fact is, this I can get a bit distant from God. And my encouragement to you today is this since knowing God is the main thing in life, make sure your relationship with God is something that is close and real and personal and growing. Colossians 1 verse 10 says this. It says, before that it says, here's a number of things you need to do, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Then look at this last phrase, growing in the knowledge of God. It's easy to get distracted and distant in your relationship with God doesn't mean you no longer have eternal life, but it means the quality of your life just now isn't going to be all that God wanted it to be. So where do we go with that? How do we sum all that up? Well, let me sum it up this way. If while I've been talking, something inside of you is saying to you, I need to know God. I want to encourage you at this point in our service to take the opportunity to open your heart to Jesus and to ask Christ to be the Lord of your life. If you're here with us today or watching at home and you know you've strayed, you've wandered, you've just let your relationship with God become distant, I want to encourage you this Sunday morning and say, God, I want to come back to where you and I were tight and I want to live close to you." Let's pray together.